Welcome back to Ma'am. It's episode five. Can you believe it? We're already here. Somehow I can believe it, but in a much more real way, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the kind of cognitive dissonance that is really <laughs> apt for this time. <laughs> I would like that to be the episode title. I'm just saying that right now. <laughs> we thought we would start, as always, by doing Natalie's favorite thing and addressing some loose ends. Yes. Last episode, we discussed the job hiring process and Mm -hmm. all of the problems with it. As I mentioned, I have a close friend who has chosen management as their field of study. I can't understand it, but different strokes for different folk. (laughs) He is the (laughs) resident HR expert friend of the pod. And we've gotten some good information that I think it is important we share. So the two big things, last time we shared a story about someone doing a polygraph test Mm -hmm. as a part of a job interview. I did not know this, but we did both think it was odd that a polygraph was used, but polygraphs are only very rarely acceptable and legal, a job applicant or an employee participate in. So if someone asks you to do a polygraph test and you're not in a field of law enforcement or government work, yeah, government work, maybe that's not okay. So know your right and be Mm -hmm. vigilant. We also discussed the self-disclosure questions and how you feel pressured to answer some kind of questions that feel a little iffy if you don't know why you're being asked. Do you have disability? Are you a protected veteran? Your demographic information about gender, ethnicity, race. And we shared that we've had heard anecdotes about people's outcomes being different based on how they answered those questions or didn't answer them. But our HR expert tells us those questions are collecting data for national organizations to check for discrimination in hiring practices. If we don't answer those questions, we don't have as much data to check for discrimination. That is the purpose of them, even though it feels a little iffy. At least we have that knowledge now. We have that knowledge, but that said... I think when we were discussing this privately, we were like, even if that's the case, the outcomes are still different. And it is still terrible that people experience those different outcomes based on answers to demographic questions. So I feel like in this case, it's kind of a whole line to toe. On one hand, there could be a benefit for holding institutions accountable. But on the other hand, it comes at personal cost. So much to think about. If anyone else out there is an HR expert and happens to know more about this, please do let us know. Actually, I don't particularly care about that that much. But now... (laughs) hey i'm a data-driven lady (laughs) i think like anything like i said last time what matters is how that data and how that information is used intent can be good but things put into practice Mm -hmm. aren't always what they are supposed to be or what we want them to be but yeah that's what we thought we should make sure everyone hears to wrap up our discussion of the job application process you know we really intended that episode to be about job experiences and it was literally all about the application process so perhaps down the line we can discuss actual experiences in the workplace but there's just too many problems to discuss there's too much mamming to do about the application process (laughs) we couldn't even get beyond that we wanted to throw in a little extra razzle dazzle today Mm -hmm. because we are we're both big twitter fans so we thought why not just read out some tweets that made us say ma'am who knows if this segment will make it in Allow me to take take some some snippets, if you will. This first, <laughs> I'm already laughing. 
You're not going to be able to get through this segment. I know. This first one comes from one of our favorite Twitter comedians, Caleb Huron. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I, th- I think it's Heron, like the bird. Heron? I think it's Caleb Heron. Caleb Heron. Either way, if it's Heron or Huron, hilarious individual. Just so everyone can find him at Caleb Says Things. Yes, it reads... Why do I even have the impulse to tweet things like chocolate-covered almonds did what they had to do? Like, what is this illness? (laughs) Oh, this is kind of related to labor. What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done for money? For me, it's probably going to a building and clicking around on a computer for 40 hours a week. That reminds me of some of some memes that are like, I wake up every day and pour my silly little coffee and do my silly little tasks on my silly little computer. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> the new silly, silly, silly meme. Love that one. It's so good. Classic. We've got another one, Abby, from Caleb that you sent to me, which I think is pretty funny. It reads, if I'm seeing a dentist, I'd like to be put to sleep. Even if it's just a cleaning, it would be an honor to go under. The sound of the drills is none of my business. And I really like that. It is so funny to me when the phrase, it's none of my business, is brought up to the most ridiculous (laughs) things. I don't remember if it was a tweet or if it's just been recycled on every social media platform, but there was something that was like, why do I need to understand math? If numbers want to be different, that's their business. (laughs) That is good content. And it's true. Oh, I love this one. At J.W. Lanny. The banana peel is one of the classic pieces of garbage. Classic. (laughs) I just love it. That's it for our Twitter segment. If you've got any funny tweets you've seen recently, feel free to send them in. And if this segment makes it on air, perhaps we'll we'll read your tweet out. But I think that gives us a segue into the final loose ends we want to tie up, which are those with our personal life. Abby, if you want to take it away with your recent uh, fall girl TM moments, I think that's been defining your, your days recently. I made the decision that this year I was going to be a person whose entire personality is the season fall while it is fall. If anyone's a fan of Reductress, as I am, I'm sure in the future, instead of Twitter segments, I'll start reading all of my favorite Reductress headlines, which is basically (laughs) a sort of like women-focused version of The Onion. If you're unfamiliar, Mm -hmm. check out Reductress. One of the the greatest headlines is Fall is My Entire Personality. It's certainly a nod to the pumpkin spice latte. Oh, I'm so excited to wear sweaters and riding boots and stand in some leaves but not actually get dirty type of white girl culture. But I was like, you know what? I have a lot of time on my hands. Beautiful outside. So I'm going to become a person whose entire personality is fall for two months. And let me tell you guys, Mm -hmm. it's so fun. It's so fun. Abby, all I have to say is what have I been telling you all these years? I know. When you thought I was being silly. And here you are now. (laughs) Natalie loves seasonal decor. She loves Mm -hmm. all things with those vibes. And I'm usually much more of a kind of utilitarian mindset. But man, being a fall person is a good time. I have baked pumpkin bread. I ate apple cider donut. I carved out a pumpkin this week and made pumpkin seeds. (gasps) And later today, I'm going to the corn maze and I will be having a great time going to every little spot on the map and getting the little stamp on my card so that I will have walked the whole thing correctly. You're not just going to willy-nilly run around a maze with me. That's not going to happen. So I'm very excited to have a very structured and fun experience at the corn maze. 
This is my hot take. I think of all the seasons to participate in and make your personality, I think fall is the best one because you've got the best Mm -hmm. of both worlds, right? You can still participate in outdoor activities. There is plenty that you can do to be active. Like we can do things outside in winter, granted. I think as a an honorary Canadian of four years. I I have seen the people, you know, we can bundle up and do things outside, but it's simply much less enjoyable when you're freezing your butt off. So fall is Mm -hmm. perfect. You can do things outside. You can go to the corn maze. You can go to the apple orchards. You can go on the hay rides. There's so many fun things to do. And the season is just so beautiful. It's like it's asking you to participate in it. I mean, look Mm -hmm. at those leaves. Come on. And it all just weaves together simply so seamlessly. And it's the month of my birthday. So that's an extra little tidbit (laughs) which makes the season extra divine the other thing too is that I'm really not a spooky season person I don't have anything against Mm -hmm. it but I just don't really care about Halloween so I'm particularly Mm -hmm. interested in fall I'm being a fall person TM not a spooky season person because they are separate things makes sense yesterday I bought three little candles that are shaped like pumpkins they're the cutest thing ever and I'm like wow I cannot wait to set up a little display on my shelf with my orange, white, and yellow pumpkin-scented and pumpkin-shaped candles. It's going to be so cute. I did a bit of a spooky season thing last night. So the city I'm in, in Canada right now for school, is on lockdown. So we are all inside, not seeing anybody. And so last night, since it was Friday night and we don't do work on Fridays, we were like, it's time to watch spooky season movie. So we watched Hocus Pocus. Um, A movie that I was told was age-appropriate for young children. Mm -hmm. This was one of the most unsettling films I have ever seen in my life. That track. Unsettling is the only word I can think of that accurately describes that experience. I was watching this and I thought if I were any age from 10 and younger, I would be horrified. And I would have had to sleep on my mother's floor for at least a month. This is so scary. That's a movie that everyone always talks about, and I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through because the little bits and pieces. You don't need to. (laughs) Yeah, the bits and pieces I have seen, I was like, I'm terrified of this. It freaked me out so badly. I I don't think people should have to watch that. (laughs) Actually, I'm kidding. You know, it's spooky season. Do whatever you want. I just, I I don't do well with unsettling content. That's a good recap, I think, of the fall moment. Mm -hmm. I hope that others are also enjoying and appreciating it. I have sadly been a little less able to go out and actively experience fall and do the things that I'd want to do as we are in lockdown. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to do a little apple orchard moment or a little hayride moment if that were safe, but it's not. So instead I'm doing lots of walks outside when I can to take a break from Zoom University. Mm -hmm. One of my professors was informed last week that he had told office hours, so at least he's starting that halfway (laughs) into the semester. (laughs) That's pretty nice. (laughs) But you know, a real highlight that I've had recently is, well, I think all of my professors are trying incredibly hard during this time. I have one in particular who cares so much about student well-being right now and has emphasized so many times how she is willing to be accommodating and talk with people and be understanding. And I saw her on office hours recently, and she just said the smallest, most encouraging things to me. And I almost cried in this appointment because I was like, this is so, this is just so, so kind. I don't know. I got so emotional. Even in the darkness that is Zoom University, there are just some people and some professors, I feel like, that are so great and so kind that it really makes a huge difference. Now that it's getting colder here, it is a lot harder to be active outdoors. 
I'm kind of reconciling with the fact that I'm going to be stuck indoors and have to find out how to be active and healthy in that kind of environment, which segues perfectly into the topic of today's episode, which is health, wellness, fitness, well-being, and everything adjacent. This is a broad topic that is so much more than just, you know, healthy eating and fitness, right? Diet, exercise, sleep are a huge component of personal health and those habits you cultivate in your daily life obviously matter a great deal to health, but health is so much more than just the personal. It's also environment that you're in and institutions that you interact in. You know, if that's everything from the city that you're living in or the town that you're living in to the specific healthcare that's available to you or to the physical education classes that you take at school to the types of grocery stores that are available near you. Um, You know, long story short, health is an extremely multifaceted issue that's both personal and institutional. And because it's both personal and it involves institutions, that means there are a lot of mam-inducing moments that are involved in (laughs) the process of seeking health. But Abby and I, you know, as, as friends over the summer had tons of different conversations around this as we were thinking about how to be active and healthy in the season of the novel coronavirus. We did a lot of physical challenges this summer. Do you want to describe them? We discussed a lot of physical challenges. We we discussed them more than we successfully completed them. Something I really try to hang my hat on is the first step is an ambition to do something. It's setting a goal. It's having, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the thought that counts to to some degree. Mm -hmm. We like to try to set the goal that we're going to like do the 30 day abs challenge or the whatever. And I have successfully done a squat challenge, I think three times over the last few years, but never, it never seems to line up with when we say we're going to like text each other each day and be like, did you do the yoga video today? (laughs) We Usually we get a couple days and you know what? That's better than no days. So I try to try to be optimistic about that. It really is. I think that we did either a squat or an ab challenge at the beginning of the summer. And I distinctly remember failing after I think day two. Um, And you were texting me being like, did you do the squats for today? I just finished them. They were so hard. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, girl. Weren't they so difficult? (laughs) Obviously. I always think that you, you seem to like work out so much more because you had like much more of like a schedule. Did you not actually work out? No, I do actually work out during those times. Um, I, I, you're, I am a very regimented person, but you know, did I always want to integrate the couple of squats <laughs> I had to do that day? Not necessarily, because <laughs> <laughs> I would have already done something. So I That's was like, fair. Yeah. But we, what we did kind of start and were quasi successful with um, a 30 day yoga challenge from Yoga with Adrian who I have to plug because she has the most soothing voice and online presence imaginable. Oh, yeah. I feel creepy for how much I, (laughs) like, Yoga with Adrienne's voice is just really important to me, and I feel so Mm -hmm. weird saying that. People can have great voices. Some people have got the radio, the podcast voice. She has the voice that is just so therapeutic to listen to. So I think we got pretty far with our 30-day yoga. And during that challenge, I think I realized why so many people practice yoga. Yeah, It's wonderful. Not to say that I've been particularly good at keeping up with that trend now that I'm at school again, and little things like that fall to the wayside. But I have to say, when we were doing that, I think we were both 
really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. But we also, towards the end of the summer, started to go on pretty long walks, like two to three mile walks. Yeah. Pretty regularly. And that was one of my favorite summer activities, I have to say. Yeah, it was really nice to do that. Especially because we would go, like either I would come to your neighborhood, because I don't really have sidewalks near me. So I was like, oh, look at this whole little neighborhood that it's like a designated, like I can, we could just walk around here and there's like street lights. So even if it got dark, oh, look, we, we can be here or we would go to the park. So <laughs> it was like you were kind of getting out of the house and doing something different because I had been doing during Zoom U when I was finishing my last semester, I kind of live out in the country just a little bit. And basically there's not, I mean, there's a road that doesn't even have paint down the middle to separate the two lanes. So there's no Mm -hmm. sidewalks and there's not really any pavement. So I went on some walks on like hills that felt kind of closer to a a hike, but it was nice to have Mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to walk on pretty flat ground or I didn't, you know, it was better for like walking quickly and just a different type of workout than trying to incorporate, you know, elevation and not elevation, but hills and over the summer. It became my favorite form of exercise. I used to be a huge, not, I would not say gym rat, but I loved going to the gym and using all the fancy little machines and whatnot. But I think I developed a deep appreciation for literally just going on a walk for an hour to an hour and a half every day during the summer. Mm -hmm. Not only is it a good workout, but it's just literally so therapeutic to be able to do that. And you can go with a friend and talk the whole time. It's not like running on a treadmill when people try to speak to each other and it's literally impossible um because you are gasping for air well if you're me I don't think other people are necessarily gasping for air (laughs) when they're running so me and one of my roommates Eve have been doing that since we've been at school there's like a little kind of mountain behind our apartment so we you know takes an hour to walk up and down so we've been doing that most days and it is just literally such a great activity if you listen to the Michelle Obama podcast you will have heard her talk about her walking boot camp she goes on where she walks for like four to five hours in the morning. Love. We also at, you know, certain points throughout this year have tried to make some healthy recipes um, Mm -hmm. that have also gone a bit awry. I I can start with a little story here. You know what? It's not even that funny of a story. It was just an experience in the kitchen really gone wrong. Mm -hmm. I and my roommate before, just before I left actually in March had ordered groceries from this kind of local farm, if you will. And they had accidentally sent us multiple pounds of beets, which obviously we did not order, but we didn't want to throw them away. And this was a time when we didn't know if it was safe to donate food to food pantries. You know, like if we had touched the food, could other people still eat it? You know, the COVID research was still really new at that time. So we were like, well, we've got to eat these multiple pounds of beets, guys. Like we can't waste this food. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not making borscht because we can't do that. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it is it is a beet-based dish. I, I figured that. <laughs> That's true. It's pretty obvious. But we were like, what if we shredded these beets and made a chocolate cake from them? So we shredded a good 8 to 12 beets, which will stain your hands pink for an inordinate amount of time, by the way. Put it into a chocolate cake. It, it was disgusting. It, it was really, really, it was really, really inedible. <laughs> Like, if we're talking about the grades they'll give food from edible to inedible, we're at, like, a D. We're not, you know, 
rancid, but it, it was bad. But at the time, we were like, oh, God, we're so healthy. Look at us. I mean, you know, glowing, healthy green goddesses. Horrendous. Horrible. In a lot of ways, I'm kind of like eight years old when it comes to eating. And then I just like very plain and boring things. Shout out to original flavor of anything. I just want plain. <laughs> Natalie loves <laughs> Natalie like, prefers flavor blasted and Abby is like the number one fan of original flavor <laughs> so I really tried to make myself eat some broccoli and cauliflower I was like I'm just gonna eat some raw broccoli that's plain it doesn't have a bunch of things on it I'll make myself like the most plain version of something raw broccoli mm-hmm. is not exciting it was I really had to push myself to eat the little bushel head of it and then I was like hey we're gonna make a second attempt so I diced up all this garlic got some oil on a pan I tried to roast some broccoli and cauliflower and some those little baby potatoes Mm -hmm. it was the most bland thing I had ever eaten and the texture was all wrong it was just boring I hated it I did I was like why would anyone want to eat this so I'm still looking for ways to eat some more vegetables, but I'm I'm trying. Hey, the fact that you're trying is what counts. I will say there are, I, I know a couple of people that really do not like the texture of broccoli and cauliflower. So that is pretty fair. That said, chopping up some broccoli, putting it on the pan with a little bit of chili lime. By a little bit, I mean a lot of chili lime seasoning is one of my <laughs> favorite little quick <laughs> cooks next to me um, but I, I'm proud for trying yes we have some pretty diverging opinions on the tastiness of vegetables a thing that I that you do that I think is funny is when you order Caesar salad and when I okay this is my favorite salad in the world when I order a Caesar salad I want it to be swimming in sauce like I want it to be borderline soup like there is that much dressing on there and, and when Abby orders it she's like I'll take that no dressing. I'll also take that. No cheese. Essentially, we end up with a bowl, a bowl of plain lettuce and chicken. Listen, right? Did I get that plain, right? Do you put the cheese on it? I don't like Parmesan cheese. I really, I don't like Parmesan cheese. In fact, I'm not a big fan of cheese in general. I've said this before. There are people I know who will be upset by this, but I do not think that liking cheese is a whole personality. And there are too many people out there who do think liking cheese is their whole personality. Like it's, it's just not. Yes. I don't get it. I don't understand. I feel oh. like all of a sudden it was like in vogue to be like, oh my God, I love cheese. And I was like, where is this coming from? And now everyone's obsessed with charcuterie <laughs> boards. And I'm like, guys, I just don't care. Oh my it's not gosh. like I'm lactose intolerant. I just don't care. But yes, to me, the perfect way to make a Caesar salad is plain romaine, chicken, and croutons. I I brought plain romaine as a salad (laughs) to my job once as like my lunch and one of my coworkers just started saying every day plain romaine. (laughs) Um, Here's my beef with charcuterie boards. I have been making those for years. Oh my god! And suddenly, and suddenly, it's a trend. Okay, and I'm not going to say I started the trend, but I do want to say I have been making these things for such a long time. And my next grievance with charcuterie boards is that every single one that everyone posts looks the same, but everyone thinks they are so special for having made it. And I'm like, guys, it is actually the most simple thing you could literally make in your entire life. You get your cracker, you get your cheese, your meat, grapes, nuts, boom, done. That's it. 
Yeah. There is literally no preparation required for this. See, I think the opposite. I think it's a ridiculous amount of preparation to put five crackers on a plate and be <laughs> like, oh, I just did something. Why don't you just take the sleeve of Ritz crackers and just eat them? Why did you need to spread everything out? You just cut it all up and now it's a whole mess and now you got a tray dirty. It's like, I don't want to wash that. I mean, listen, I like the presentation, but I'm like, I think we're overhyping how how um, how difficult it is to create this. It takes probably five minutes and literally a monkey could do it. And I'm just tired of seeing everybody post the exact same freaking charcuterie board when I have made these for so long and have never posted an image of them because I'm like, it's so simple. It doesn't warrant it. I think it's important to point out that charcuterie boards is just another in a long line of trends Natalie claims to be ahead of. It joins the ranks of liking lavender as a scent. Hey, that was literally... And also Birkenstocks. Okay, first of all, the Germans, of which I am one, have ha- have been doing Birkenstocks for longer than any of us have been alive, okay? <laughs> I started that. Second of all, there's a part of me that's deeply convinced that I started the nationwide lavender trend, and here's why. <laughs> do, do you know literally anybody that was obsessed with lavender before I was years and years and years ago? That's right. No, you don't, because I was the only one. And then a local coffee shop starts producing lavender-based goods. And then I get active on social media about it, okay? Here's the thing. I start buying a lot of lavender things from stores. I make it very vocal how much I appreciate the ingredient when infused into beverages, foods, or scents of other varieties. Other people start getting onto this trend because I've introduced them to it. Suddenly, there's discourse on social media about lavender. Suddenly, it appears in more contexts. I am convinced that I started a nationwide phenomenon. You can't convince me otherwise. That's very clear that you're convinced of that. (laughs) What I have to say as a concluding thought on lavender is I don't understand the hype. I don't like the smell. I don't get it. It's just not a scent that appeals to me. I have a lot of thoughts in response to that, but we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. It's for the friendship. It's really better that way. One area where we do agree, though, or maybe not agree, but um, suffer together is Mm -hmm. in our sleep hygiene. I personally love the phrase sleep hygiene. When I was first taught that phrase, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is going to be a moment, capital M, in my life that I now know what sleep hygiene is. But we both have certainly struggled with it. Me, maybe a little bit more than you, but... I think both of us, and I don't mean this in a pessimistic way, I mean it in a very deeply realistic way, will struggle with sleep for the rest of our lives. Oh, undoubtedly. (laughs) I don't think there will ever be a point where we speak and are like, haven't you been sleeping wonderfully lately? Don't you wake up feeling so well rested? (laughs) So glad that issue's over. It's not going to happen, but our, our sleep problems differ a little bit. Like, I maintain a pretty strict sleep schedule and like sleep hygiene practice like I really don't go to bed after 1 30 a.m that's my absolute latest I'll go to bed I, I'm, I'm very specific with the sleep hygiene but the quality of sleep I get and the exhaustion I feel during the day feels insurmountable like I'll sit down to you know go to bed and it takes me three hours to fall asleep and then my little tracker shows that I was actually awake for half the night and I got up you know six times And then during the day, I'm, like, unable to stay awake. I fall asleep in public constantly um, because I literally just can't stay up to the point where I got a test for narcolepsy and just barely missed a narcolepsy diagnosis by one to two minutes, which is crazy. So I think I'm going to go back at one point um, to maybe get it again. Yeah, that's a good choice. So I've kind of got that problem 
whereas you, yours is the opposite. To, to quote you, you're a frequent flyer at Stupid O'Clock. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Since I was able to speak, I have expressed that I do not have an interest in going to bed. When, <laughs> literally when I was like three or four years old, when my parents would tell me to go to bed, I would say, it hurts my feelings when you tell me to go to bed. <laughs> I learned just the smallest amount of vocabulary related to emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. And I was like, that hurts my feelings. I don't want to go to You're bed. Like, no. That makes me sad. And you know, Abby, you haven't wanted to go to bed I since. haven't wavered. <laughs> In preschool, when it was nap time, I was like, I won't be taking a nap. I got special permission that I could not nap, that I was, like, going to not get in trouble so long as I stayed on my cot, was quiet, or read a little, you know, picture book, whatever a four-year-old can read or look at, because I just refused to sleep. And now, I just never want to go to bed. What if I stayed up instead and did any slew of activities? (laughs) like literally any activity sometimes I'll be like oh I don't really want to go to bed and it's only 1205 let's start an entire book and then I will spend four hours reading a book in the dark on my phone so yeah you know what let's just leave it at that we will never have a good sleep cycle or schedule Mm -hmm. it's never going to happen and we both know it and I think there's kind of a beauty in accepting it yeah I try to accept that it's never going to be perfect but I am always trying to be, you know, a little bit better, more consistent, get off the phone earlier. I haven't given up Mm -hmm. on trying to be better, but I have tried to dispel this stress of like, I need to get to a point where I'm better at this because I'm a night owl. I'm never going to be a person who has, you know, the sleep schedule of others, but I can have a better sleep schedule that's still me. That was a much better way than putting it. We do definitely try. I think we've just come to the collective conclusion. This is going to be a lifelong thing and we can work within those bounds to manage what we've got and to be functional. But like we know that we will simply never be sleeping from 12 to 8 consistently and waking up feeling so refreshed. You know, that's kind of a ton on the personal side of health, but we have not even touched the institutional components of health yet. Let's talk about bureaucracy, baby. Let, let's talk about bureaucracy, baby. There's so much to say. Accessing health through institutions can be a major fiasco, as we know. And I think that it's becoming particularly more apparent to me as we enter adulthood. I know I'm going to be off of my mother's insurance in a year, and I'm already starting to think like, okay, I've got to get health insurance. I have to figure out how to get that. Like, how do I, how do I obtain that? I have to figure out how to get a primary care doctor and then a doctor for other things, but also how do I know how often I have to see them? How do I know when I'm supposed to go get certain exams done? Like there's literally no centralized place with all this information that's like when you become an adult and you're off your parents' insurance, here is everything that you have to make sure that you do. And a lot of doctor's offices, like my previous one, would never tell me when I had to schedule appointments or when I needed to get certain exams done or vaccines done. My mother would tell me to go schedule something and I'd come in and they're like, wow, you're so late. (laughs) You didn't tell me I had to go. How was I supposed to know? I'm 17. Like, (laughs) I, it's your, it's your job to tell me. Yeah, it is really, really difficult, I think, to navigate the healthcare system. Maybe that's an America specific thing. I suppose that. Sure, it's certainly worse. (laughs) 
it can either be worse, it could be better, depending on the country you're in. So I've had some experiences in Canada as well, navigating the healthcare system. So I have international student coverage, which means that I can get healthcare here, especially if there's an emergency, like I'll be covered. And one day, I wouldn't call it an emergency, but there was indeed a concerning moment. I had woken up, I was feeling really, really bad. Throughout the day, it just got really progressively worse to the point where I really couldn't walk. I would lay down in my bed. I would sit back up. It it felt like fainting. Like I would just completely black out and collapse. And I had a headache that day that was probably the most physically painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Couldn't open my eyes, couldn't do anything. And I felt so feverish. So one of my really good friends, Karen, was with me. And so she called, you know, like the ER. She called all these doctors to see if I should go in. And they're like, yeah, yeah, take her into the ER. I got there. I had a 104.9 degree fever. That's hot. (laughs) That's hot. And they put me in, they, you know, gave me an IV. They gave me some type of medications that really made me feel a lot better. But then I was kind of left. I was left there for hours on end without being checked in on. She was there with me the entire time. Like she literally stayed in the chair next to me, slept there. It was like, what a wonderful friend. They told me around midnight, you have meningitis. Ooh. Your symptoms are parallel with meningitis. So you might need a spinal tap. I was like, Spin- spinal tap? Oh, geez. With a spinal tap, they're like, okay, so you can't disobey medical advice, but I'm just telling you it is medical advice to get one. I was like, listen, dude, listen, listen. You tell me to get a spinal tap, I'll get the spinal tap, all right? I'm just not excited about the spinal tap. I'm a little terrified for it. So they take some, you know, samples of different things. I didn't get a spinal tap in the end. And then I was left in that hospital room from 12 to maybe 8 in the morning. Like, no one came. No one checked on me. They told me you might have meningitis and then just left me in there. (laughs) Karen is sitting next to me. I wake up. It's 8. I immediately start crying because I was like, I have to go to the bathroom, but I can't get up because I'm hooked up to this IV. I can't move. No one's checked in on me in 8 hours. Do I have meningitis? If I do, I'm probably going to die soon. So what's what's up here? And I was like, Karen, you've got to get somebody. Like, I got I to gotta get up. And she opens the door, and it was so great. She was like, excuse me. Excuse me. Can somebody over here help my friend, please? <laughs> There's, like, from the, from the door, I can see a little area that's like nurse's station. No unauthorized access. And where does she head for? Straight into the point of unauthorized access. Just being like, excuse me. <laughs> My friend needs assistance. <laughs> so she came in, got the people. We never figured out what what was up, actually. They gave me more medicine. They gave me, actually, aspirin and sent me on my day. But, you know, and they refused to test me for the flu or anything like that. But Karen, my wonderful friend, literally stayed there all night long, hunched over, sleeping in a chair. She brought me, like, deodorant, toothpaste, face wash, foods for the morning. What a trooper. So that was my experience in the hospital. I don't believe I paid a dime in this case. (laughs) However, I am now told that as I want to get my flu shot that it will be $300, and I am confused. (laughs) Oh, my God. How could a flu shot cost $300? How? Abby, we're asking similar questions. I am unsure. (laughs) 
So yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I, but I've been told that. So that's kind of my grievance. The whole interaction process is just so stressful to me too. Whether it's on the phone or sitting in a room talking with them, I always want more documents, more paper trail, because I'm worried that I'll leave that appointment or I'll hang up the phone and then I'll be like, wait, what did they just say? And I won't remember all the details. And then when I have to go mm-hmm. for like a follow-up visit, I'll be like, oh wait, what did they suggest? Like, did I follow all of their recommendations? Did I remember their recommendations correctly? So I just always want to have notes, but like probably should just start doing that because I'm mm-hmm. always so nervous about trying to remember everything. It's just so overwhelming to me. It is. I've started taking a little notebook out to do just that because otherwise I'm so focused on the interaction that I panic and then forget every piece of information that I've been given. You get so little time to actually talk to your healthcare professional that I feel like I need to be able to give them exact and good accurate answers to questions so if they're like well how many times have you experienced this pain or do Mm -hmm. you notice that you start to feel this way after you've eaten or do you feel like foods affect you know this or that I wasn't paying that close of attention so I want to be able to tell them I usually get three headaches a week or things really happen at this time I feel like I'm never giving them exact enough information because if you don't answer their specific questions correctly then they're like oh well you're not exhibiting this type of symptom and the potential solution will be overlooked so I'm always just so stressed about being able to exactly answer questions Mm -hmm. so I'm thinking about trying to do that that I'm then I walk out and I'm like wait what just happened I just have like a complete mental block well it's hard right I had such a headache every time I was on campus trying to sort out getting my flu shot I really don't understand how yours is supposed to cost $300. Me either. (laughs) Because I was out of date, it was always this big to-do about my insurance covering $20 or $30 flu shot. So I needed to pay and I had not brought the right (laughs) amount of cash. And for some reason, they're like, oh, we can't take a card. So Mm -hmm. I needed to get exact change and I didn't have it with me. And apparently I didn't Mm -hmm. think to go to the ATM machine or I didn't want to pay the fee. I don't know why but that wasn't an option I explored I started walking around the student center to see if there were people Mm -hmm. that I knew around I was literally going around begging people can you break this bill or do you have money that I can like Venmo you for your cash out of your wallet (laughs) eventually I found people and then I went back to them and I had forgotten some other paperwork or something so it turned into this half hour ordeal of me trying to pay for a $25 flu shot and I got so stressed I was like I I hate all of this just accept my insurance and let's move on. That can be resolved so simply with an email ahead of time that yeah. just gives more details that allows you to know what exactly you are walking into before it happens. I'm actually not sure where this flu shot's happening for me if I'm being real with you. If it's $300, I'm probably not going to get it. So <laughs> another part of the institutions we deal with for health is the classic high school gym class. I don't think I know anybody who's had positive experiences with physical (laughs) education in American public schools. Every single person I know that talks about high school PE is having some type of like fever dream, a horrible flashback. Yeah, I refuse. I did my required high school PE credits over the summer. You would go for a month and you would basically go for like half of a day and then you would get all your required hours in Mm -hmm. so I did this two different summers we had to run laps to start and then we would do 
all of these weird games and it was just the weirdest collection of people but i did learn that i can play pickleball so there was one positive aspect of it and then i did that with like my health class too because i didn't want to sit for an entire semester going to health every day and in that class i did watch a full-on video of a human birth <laughs> and i have been different since that day <laughs> why why to what end why <laughs> <laughs> was there any sex education no no did i see a close-up video of a woman giving birth yes that was the sex education that's what they thought it was yeah it's hard to pick words to describe my high school pe experience but i would call it incredibly laborious physically intense and profoundly unforgiving <laughs> if i had to pick a couple of key adjectives just like reflecting on it, I mean, we were doing the most wild workout videos sometimes. We did P90X type videos. One of the first times we did it, I distinctly remember I did it and then I felt so drastically faint afterwards. I hadn't eaten that much that still kind of mid-morning I was sleepy and I had just completed like an hour and, and then some of P90X in a hot little room and I kept stopping during the workout because I was just not very in shape at that point in my life I didn't exercise regularly it was so hard I remember the the PE coach looking at me and being like uh keep going you're not stopping and I was like you don't know the half of it girl like I really have to and obviously I had to keep going because she was just watching me like a hawk at the end of it I really felt like I was going to just collapse like or throw up or something like I was leaning over the railing being like this is it it's happening now. Like, there's yeah. no going back. And in middle school PE, we did very similar things. What 13-year-old needs to be doing P90X? That's just ridiculous. None of them. And there were literal cases when students would faint during PE. There were cases when students would start throwing up. We were all expected to act like it was so normal. They were like, okay, and keep going. You know, sometimes after those videos, you can't walk for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was always like that. Every time we did P90X, I was like, great, there goes my ability to sit for the next half of the month. I have this very vivid memory. We had the option of taking team sports, weight training, different types of PE. One of them was called body sculpting. For Mm -hmm. whatever reason, there was a period of time where it just didn't click in my mind that that meant toning your body with physical activity. And I was like, why is there an art teacher who teaches you how to use clay to sculpt figures of people Abby, teaching my summer school PE class? I am not kidding. It took me an embarrassing amount of time for that light bulb to go off. That reminds me of when I was in weight training and my partner, God love her, she was great, dropped that barbell thing on my head, (gasps) like smack in the middle of my forehead right before we left for a debate tournament. So I had to go up to our coach afterwards and be like, so you know, I will be getting concussion tested periodically during the day as I have had a 40 pound barbell, whatever it's called. Oh my God. Smack me directly in the forehead. And he was like, what? And we also asked the the friends of the pod if they had any particular stories regarding crazy health experiences, high school PE, etc. We got some responses. Abby, one of the listeners, was talking about how she hates high school PE and how anytime she wanted to get out of it, all she would have to do was say the word menstrual around a male PE <laughs> teacher and it was game over. <laughs> immediately let out. 
I respect it. You know, sometimes you have to use men's immaturity and discomfort to your benefit because it's not doing you any good. And those yeah. small moments where you can weaponize that, you got to do it. I found women PE teachers would be like, you're on your period? Guess what? I get a period too. It's not that bad. You suck it up. Get out there. Yeah. But for some women or for some girls, that is such a painful experience. It really manifests itself with physical illness to the point where you really can't get up and do it. In general, PE teachers are not understanding enough trying to tell you what you can and can't do with your symptoms that they don't know you're experiencing. You don't know how someone is experiencing those types of symptoms or just other things associated with the stress and awkwardness of going through puberty and just being a kid who is that age. Trying to do physical activity in front of other kids can be so stressful if you're uncomfortable in your body, if you feel like you aren't fitting kind of like the stereotypes of what should be athletic. Some girls who are super athletic, then they feel more uncomfortable because then they're not seen as as feminine and that can cause so much stress in terms of gender roles. All of that is so stressful. Just give people a break. They don't need to be performing athletic feats in front of everyone. And if they are excelling at those things, you also don't need to draw a ton of attention to that because everybody's just awkward and it's an awkward time. Health and fitness should not be so wrapped up in this stress. And I feel so bad that everyone has to have such a pressure cooker environment of, okay, now change in front of these people and do these activities that you might not feel comfortable doing. It's just so much on top of being sweaty and uncomfortable and tired. The changing part in particular, now I feel completely comfortable, you know, changing in front of others or in our locker room or whatever. But When I was 12 and 13, it made my stomach churn before I'd have to go Mm -hmm. to PE because I was so uncomfortable. They were like, it's a life skill. Have to do it. Get in there. And I was like, what part of this is a life skill? There was no part of this process that I have to be trained to do. I do not have to change in front of other people for the rest of my life unless I choose to. Even at the gym, you can change in the bathroom if you want to. You don't have to change at the gym. You can change at home. At university, I never change in the actual locker room. Like When I'm looking back, I cannot possibly decide why it was pushed in this really awkward way that it was something you had to learn how to do to be successful in life. Yeah. No, it's not. And the other thing, so Eve was telling me a story as well about how when she was in gym class, and she did gym in Scotland and in England. Mm. It was a little bit different there. She would say if they didn't do enough during the class or if they were goofing around, they would have to just drop and do 25 burpees in front of everybody oh too. Gosh. Which is just so embarrassing. Yeah. The, the notion that people will be given some type of punishment in PE especially if that individual cannot perform that type of exercise Mm. I'm a fit person I think of burpees and I'm like absolutely not no like I'm just not doing that I mean I would lose my balance so quickly from something like that the jump up and down be nauseating no so would I that was a a good monologue you had there that made me think a ton about how all of these things happened and we just accepted it and we would rant to our parents and they'd be like that's how it is sorry suck it up but in hindsight we're like that is so not appropriate I hope this changes in our generation we have children I hope that that is also completely different and another component of it too is just this stark cut between like we're gonna have boys PE girls PE boys health girls health dynamics are just changing so much about how we try to have these strict binaries of those types of things and trying to say we have to set up these rules in this specific way just doesn't really work because it doesn't accommodate people who don't fit into those particular boxes in addition to kind of interacting with 
high school PE institutions and those being awful, I feel like even when you grow up as an adult, those can still be just as difficult, especially now that we're interacting with them so much more in regards to seeing a lot more doctors about possible COVID symptoms, getting COVID tested, etc. So I was actually COVID tested rather recently. I did not have it. I went to the testing site that's nearest to me, which is, it's kind of like a, a hotel hospital situation. <laughs> you know, the hotel hospital situation. <laughs> I arrived at 7.30 in the morning with my roommate. We stood outside in line, and then we stood inside in a line, and then we stood in a different <laughs> line inside, and then we stood in a different line inside. Finally, I arrived at the line which will let me go get my test. And I was feeling a little bit wigged out because they do both a throat and a nasal swab here. I don't mind nasal swabs at all. Like obviously they're not comfortable, but they don't bother me too much. But throat swabs is something I really cannot handle. Even when I was a very small child and would get tested for strep, I literally clocked a nurse in the face <laughs> once when I was seven or eight years old. I was like, you have to get this stick out. Like it, it can't be in a At the dental office too, whenever they do molds and that kind of triggers yeah. your gag reflex. I'm like lurching, gripping arms of the person that's doing it, being like, holy cow, I'm going to throw up. So I go to my little station to get tested. Most of the, of the centers are like individual one-on-one -on -one rooms, so it's a lot of privacy. But mine was the space where two people would go at once and someone I know was getting tested at the same time, which I really didn't care about. That was completely fine. But I thought, oh my God, my classmate is going to now see me in one of the greatest moments <laughs> of medical distress yet. <laughs> I was like, how about that? Haven't seen her since March. Now she's going to see me probably cry because I have to get a throat swab. Yeah. So I looked at the nurse and I was like, just to let you know, I have a sensitive gag reflex. I'm not sure this is going to go well. Can I get a trash can just in case? Abby, we tried to do the throat swab, I think 10 or 15 oh. times before she had said, you know what? It's fine. <laughs> we don't have to. That's so many attempts. That's so I know. We went over and over and there were so many points when she was pushing back and I pushing into my mouth and I was pushing back against her hand and I started crying like I was literally retching and I was like please not like, not again please not again please she's like we have to get the sample like, no you don't you don't need the sample her co-worker started looking at me they I saw them chuckling out of the corner of their eye I mean they were like who is this young adult who is simply so incapable of doing this finally uh, after try you know whatever 15 or something she was like it's fine we'll stop let's just do the nose one and you know what the nose one was completely fine I was like perfect <laughs> and then I went right on my merry way I was pretty embarrassed that I was seen by a classmate in one of my darkest moments crying over a throat swab yeah and I'm like ser seriously like I could have had anything else done to me I could have gotten a big needle thing I could have gotten my blood drawn I could have gotten a nasal swab I would have taken two nasal swabs and I would have been just fine but the fact that I had to be perceived in that particular way oh. was so not fun you know what it's okay it's fine it came back negative. I learned how the process worked. So now if I have to ever go back, I'll feel more comfortable. Yeah. But that was my most recent experience. Do yes. you have one? Yeah, my most recent medical experience, I went and got a flu shot at my local grocery store. They were having a drive through one. So I went with my mom and we sat in the line for almost an hour, but did eventually get our flu shot. So that was good. I can really relate to this feeling so stressed and then you get kind of embarrassed about how heightened your emotions are when you're in those medical situations. 
I don't fear the dentist, but at the dentist, I feel like my emotions are on edge because I hate the multiple sensory experience of having someone oh, yeah. doing things in my mouth, and then I also have to hear things. If I could just have noise cancelling- You have to hear the drill. Yes, and then when I can hear other people also around, I hate that. I don't understand why all of a sudden we had this cultural shift where everyone thinks that they need to have a little- TV when they're at the dentist like you're on an airplane <laughs> all of a sudden every dentist wants me to watch HGTV while someone has their fingers in my mouth with a sharp object that's too <laughs> many things at once actually so every time I'm like can we please can we please turn the TV off maybe for some people it's a nice distraction because I know that the dentist can be really anxiety inducing for others but for me this anxiety is heightened when there is television on and I'm trying to just be calm about everything that's happening in my mouth I had this horrible experience it was a really stressful time senior year of high school and it was like around college decision time I went to this dentist's office and everyone there was like the perkiest person alive and it was honestly offensive to me I was like I need you to take it down a notch <laughs> they were like so peppy and they're like oh my god you're a high school senior that's so great this must be the time of your life that's so amazing I was like actually no that is not we're like actually we we gotta wrap this experience up as soon as possible please I was like I would really prefer if you just didn't speak to me especially in that tone but they were so obnoxiously <laughs> they were so obnoxiously peppy it was absolutely draining I was like I'm not in the mood I was having to get a filling redone or something so I'm there for a particularly long time and I could hear a small child watching Spongebob at a ridiculously <laughs> large volume in another room and I was like I'm seriously going to explode from this sensory overload <laughs> And I swear to God, I switched dentist after that experience. That is a cursed place. I cannot return there. And now your dad is my dad. I was going to say, now my dad cleans your teeth. And he is wonderful. He is calm. He doesn't pester me with questions. I go there. I ask to turn the TV off. They turn it off immediately. I can't hear other people's TVs. <laughs> they are very nice when I have to get a mold done. But that was just one of the worst days was when I went to the old dentist and I heard the SpongeBob nasal laugh from another room. <laughs> While someone was drilling into my teeth, I was like, this is where I would like to, I, I'm ready to die now. Like, I, I cannot go on. Listen, I can do a lot of physical pain elsewhere, but the second that that enters my mouth, I have no more ability to cope with it. And like, yeah, my dad's my dentist. I feel so bad. I feel like I'm embarrassing him in front of his co-workers. But if I hear a drill, if I feel a little, a little poke into the gums, I will visibly, you can see the panic in my eyes. I get so yeah. squirmy. The last time I did my mold, I was literally gripping onto the arms of somebody and she's like just breathe really deeply and I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> It was so embarrassing. And my dad comes home and is like, why can't you handle getting a mold of your teeth? And I'm like, listen, dude, <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just oh, such a situation. Well, hey, I'm, I'm happy you've got a new dentist now. I agree. He's pretty good. He's a very calm man. Yeah. He will not pester with, with all of the unnecessary questions. So at least yeah. that's good. I feel like that wraps it up for today. Anything we want to say to the friends of the pod? before we sign off no i think we'll just wish everyone well in their health and wellness and athletic feats to come i hope everyone else can embrace fall as we're trying to do mm -hmm. the rest of the year is only going to get crazier from here so we're along for a ride enjoy the fall beauty while you still can i have a wonderful week everyone wherever you are be healthy be well and go out and buy yourself a pumpkin candle yes i love that <laughs> <laughs> all right bye everyone bye Bye.